The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. Politics in general has taken total leave of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, we'll be speaking to the Conservative MP Bob Blackman, his Joint Executive Secretary of the newly elected 1922 Committee. And we'll talk to Will Tanner, former advisor at number 10 and director of the think tank Onward. But first, on Monday night, the 1922 committee set out the process for electing the new Tory party leader. Candidates need the backing of at least 20 MPs to enter the race. Here's Graham Brady, chairman of the committee, on the timeline. I would hope uh, that we will do it relatively quickly. Uh, We will have the first two ballots this week and then begin uh, ballots next week, probably on Monday. And it may be that we reach the final two at that point. Well, the current favourite looks to be the former Chancellor Rishi Sunak. He's gathered the support of Transport Secretary Grant Shapps and Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab just this morning. Andrew Bowie is also backing Sunak. He has been tested in the heat of a crisis. He was the person that led our financial response uh, to COVID and he's the person that I think can take us through the situation that we're facing as a country right now, reuniting the country, recovering the economy and leading this country forward. Meanwhile, the current Chancellor Nadim Zahawi is also in the race. Brandon Lewis MP has defended Zahawi's decision to run. What Nadim did, I think, actually shows the strength of his character and actually how genuine he is. He and the Prime Minister have known each other a very, very long time. And he was one of those um, who went to see the Prime Minister on Wednesday and talked to him about the situation and was very clear with him. And, uh, and I think that shows the, the strength of character. Meanwhile, Labour expected to call a vote of no confidence in the government today in a bid to force Johnson out of office, though with a Tory majority of more than 70, it stands no chance. Well, joining us now is Conservative MP Bob Blackman, who's also Joint Executive Secretary of the newly elected 1922 Committee. Bob, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, is 20 MPs the right hurdle to set to get into the race? Do you think there's a risk of excluding too many candidates? Uh, No, I think uh, any person that wants to be uh, Prime Minister, leader of the Conservative Party, needs to command a reasonable degree of support amongst Conservative MPs to start with. Uh, The reality is, of course, that we've got to balance the two issues of um, speed to get to a point whereby by Thursday week we have two candidates to put to the uh, party membership at large in a postal ballot. Uh, versus obviously the desire to have as broad a spread of candidates as is possible. Um, so what we what we agreed is um, obviously a threshold to start with, and then uh, after the first and the first ballot will be tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, any candidate to get through to the second ballot will need to get 30 votes or more in order to qualify. So anyone that gets less than 30 votes will be eliminated. So we've got a th- two thresholds really to start with. After that, I suspect, we'll be in a position 
that um, we will have the right right sort of field for uh, MPs to whittle the list down in what will be another vote on Thursday and then votes on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday next week if we need them uh, to get down to the list of two, two candidates. Bob, how many candidates do you think are going to just get through today? Because obviously we've had 11 declare. Uh, we've still got a lot of campaigning, organising to do just today. But what do you think by six o'clock is your estimation of how many initial candidates we're going to see? Well, there's been... Last week we were talking you know, about 16 candidates possibly being in the ring. Um, today we are obviously saying that at the moment 11 candidates have declared... There are other candidates who were thinking about standing. I don't know if they are still continuing or not. But I would, I would expect to see at least 10 um, or possibly 11 candidates on the ballot paper tomorrow. Gosh, that is a, that's a fair number. Are, are you comfortable that, that Tory party members who are old, white and, and more than 60% male are, are the right people to make the final decision? The, the, the modern Tory electorate is the modern Tory Tory voters are quite diverse aren't they in terms of uh, many of them live in the north of England many of them are working class and, and your members generally are not uh, well the interesting thing is of course that membership has been on the increase over the course of this year um, which is good news for the Conservative Party generally and um, I, you know, I haven't looked at the profile recently of the new members but I can tell you obviously new members tend to be younger uh, people so we are attracting people from a more diverse section of society, um, not only younger people, but people from different uh, ethnic minorities. So that's the good news, I think, for, for the party mm. at large. Um, but, but they but, are still you know, mostly they are still mostly older and, and, and southern-based, aren't they? And, and mostly male. Uh, it's actually quite spread out. I mean, it's quite, you know, you'd be quite surprised, I think, when, uh, you know, when we we have the figures uh, around the, the level of membership and the uh, and the type of people. Um, I've been very pleased to see, you know, that that mixture of people uh, being recruited. And the other thing is, obviously, uh, from our perspective, we're we're choosing the leader of the Conservative Party, who then will become Prime Minister by virtue of the fact that at the last general election uh, we commanded a clear majority in Parliament uh, of Conservative MPs, and so it, you know, under our unwritten constitution, the position is that the, the, the party that gets the most MPs puts forward their leader as to be the Prime Minister. Uh, and that's the way historically we've done it. Uh, it continued with uh, Theresa May when she was Prime Minister uh, and obviously with Boris Johnson when he became Prime Minister. Um, so from that mm. perspective, there's no change, there's no difference between uh, the way uh, we've done that in the, in the past two leadership contests and the one that we're doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just on that point of, yeah, interesting. Um, in terms of membership, at least according to Queen Mary University, 6% of Conservative Party members at the grassroots level are aged 18 to 24, for example. So I, I think that's why we wanted to clarify that issue. Um, look, do you think that so far at the contest, um, is it fair to say that it's that it's gotten pretty dirty pretty quickly in terms of, you know, Nadim Zahari's finances, um, Preeti Patel admitting attacks on Rishi Sunak's record. I mean, fairly quickly, it's become a pretty aggressive uh, competition. Well, it's aggressive. Um, um, uh, and I, I hope that candidates that will uh, look at the positive aspects of their what they have to offer, um, as opposed to attacking each other i mean doesn't that frankly doesn't do anyone any good um and and, and doesn't portray uh, individual candidates 
or the party in any great uh, shape. What we want to be uh, concentrating on is the fact that we've got a, um, as we said, you know, a a good swathe of um, candidates representing various different strands of opinion within the Conservative Party, so that's good news, so people can um, put their point of view um, quite mm-hmm. clearly. And okay. I think what, what matters now is that people should be positive, not concentrating on uh, attacking each other, because at the end sure. of the day, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have that from uh, Labour going forward, and, you know, but, frankly, but no one's listening to them. Well, the issue, though, is that there's going to be six weeks of campaigning where the two final candidates are going to tour around the UK in the midst of a cost of living crisis, soaring bills, the possibility of Russian gas being cut off and hitting the UK um, and uh, and also strike action across the summit. That's going to be a disastrous look for the Conservative Party. Well, I think the, the reality is that we are uh, we've got a, a time frame now which uh, elects a new leader by the 5th of September when we return to Parliament after the summer recess. Whoever is elected uh, will be constructing their government uh, and the government will be taking things forward. Obviously, between now and then, uh, Boris Johnson will remain as Prime Minister and will be taking or straining every sinew, I'm sure, to ensure that we reduce the impact of the cost of living uh, challenge that we've got at the moment. Uh, I I absolutely sympathise with the fact that people have got um, their problems uh, but what we've got to try and do is make sure that we um, deal with that issue, but at the same time elect our new leader, giving our members the um, the op- opportunity to hold those individuals to account and decide which one of those two candidates they want to see as both leader and as prime minister. And then taking us through to the general election, which will follow in a couple of years' time. Well, will Boris Johnson be straining every sinew? He said that he won't make any major policy decisions. And surely, you know, this, a two months is a, is a long time. And a lot of people are incredibly troubled by the soaring cost of living. Uh, and we have what is effectively a, a lame duck prime minister. Wouldn't it be better for uh, somebody to stand in in his place, perhaps perhaps rob the deputy PM? No, because then you've got a lame duck deputy prime minister. And the, the argument it doesn't flow. Um, Obviously, what's happened is that the the position now is that the uh, Boris Johnson as Prime Minister has got the support of his cabinet. The reason why Boris Johnson is stepping down is he lost the support of his cabinet. Uh, he's got the support of his cabinet to act in a caretaker role until the new leader is elected. That's very important because it means that government will continue and the action that's required to support the economy and support people going forward um, will continue um, until the new leader is elected and whoever he or she may be can make the decisions that we need to make. Najim Sahawi, his own Chancellor, told him to go. Sorry? <laughs> well, yeah, yes. but, but several, several uh, members of the, uh, of the Cabinet obviously took the view that, that uh, the time was right for the Prime Minister to step down, uh, advised him as such... And therefore, he took that very difficult decision. I mean, who wants to be in that position? Um, But he made that decision. And then the members of the cabinet have gone back uh, into cabinet on strict understanding that, uh, you know, the prime minister will step down when the new leader is elected. Do you think the new leader will have a good uh, understanding of the concerns of of northern working class uh, Tory voters? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I I think they'll be well versed in that. And we have some excellent MPs uh, from um, across the north of England who will certainly be able to uh, put that point of view 
to uh, the the new leader and to the new government, because obviously uh, whoever is the new leader is going to construct that cabinet on the basis of the whole of the uh, England and Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, the whole of the United Kingdom, as opposed to you know, just looking uh, internally at a, a Westminster-centric bubble. Um, if we know who the leader is by September the 5th, on September the 6th, will there not surely be pressure for there to be a general election to give legitimacy to that new um, that new Prime Minister? I, I'm sure there'll be pressure. For, there always is pressure from the opposition um, to hold a general election. But I think possibly people should remember that when Gordon Brown uh, was elected as uh, Labour leader um, after Tony Blair stepped down, um, he didn't hold a general election for some three years. Um, similar similar terms when David Cameron stepped down, we didn't have a general election when Theresa May was elected. Uh, and when uh, Theresa May stepped down and Boris Johnson stepped up, down, we didn't have an immediate general election. So, um, yes, there'll be pressure, but the reality is that uh, we need to get on with the job. We've got a majority in Parliament of 75 at the moment. Uh, clearly, that's a working majority. And we've, we were elected uh, in December 2019 to fulfil a manifesto uh, and I'm, I should imagine that the leader, whoever he or she may be, will be wanting to deliver on that manifesto and demonstrating to the country our increased level of competence and uh, restoring confidence uh, in the people before we, we ask the people for a new mandate. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Well, you and things are moving ever so quickly, but at the moment it looks like Rishi Sunak, Penny Mordaunt and Tom Tugendhat have most of the MPs publicly declaring for them. And so joining us now is Will Tanner, who was an advisor to Theresa May in the Home Office and also as Prime Minister and is now Director of the Think Tank Onward to help us think about these candidates and their policies and what they're coming out with. Will, welcome to the programme. Thank you for having me. So what do you make then of this field of candidates? We were speaking to Bob Blackman. He said he thought that there would be 10 or 11 by the end of play today. Yes, I mean, it is a wide field of candidates, um, both in terms of kind of number, but also in terms of the breadth of 
uh, a political or ideological point of view represented? Do you have people firmly from the right of the party, like Liz Truss uh, uh, and some others? And you've got people like Tom Tugendhat, who's very much a centrist, and uh, and others uh, such as Penny Morden and Rishi Sunak, who who represent a kind of more modern, modern or moderate conservatism. So it, it is a wide field, a kind of grand national race, as it were, but. I would expect that to narrow quite considerably as the as the first few rounds of voting uh, happen over the next few days. What's your broad take on on the policy that's been discussed? A lot of it seems to centre around uh, tax cutting. Maybe that's not surprising when you're appealing to uh, a, a Tory selectorate. But what's your uh, what's your take on 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 which parts of the party are making the running here? Well, we have started this race focusing very clearly on I think what the candidates think MPs and to some extent, Conservative members want to hear, which is a desire for tax cuts and putting money back into people's pockets. You're hearing Margaret Thatcher's name invoked quite a lot by several of the candidates. Um, however, I I wonder whether or not the contest will continue to focus on that territory. It was, it was always going to be a kind of key part of uh, some people's pitch. People like Liz Truss have made a, a big virtue of their uh, belief in reducing the size of the state in the past. Um, but actually, you're starting to see a bit of a fight back from those who believe that conservatism is much more about fiscal discipline, about balancing the books, about not promising tax cuts that you can't necessarily afford as a country. Um, and with inflation rising as it is, I think you may well see this contest focus more on how do you tame some of that inflationary pressure in the economy? How do you get the economy back to growth before you start cutting taxes? And actually, that I would argue is the real lesson from Thatcherism in the 1980s. She was she was never someone to uh, to propose kind of unfunded tax cuts that that couldn't be uh, couldn't be funded either through spending cuts or uh, or through growth. So um, mm-hmm. uh, I think the, the kind of tax cuts narrative may well wane over the next few weeks, and we may may need to see more policy uh, issues coming through. Yeah. Onward as a think tank embraces, um, as you put it on your website, uh, being a modernising think tank of the centre right. But you've tweeted out quite interestingly that there has been a lot of talk about the right of the Tory party and the appeal of these candidates. But you actually say that the person that unites one nation Tories could also be a formidable force. So again, it's it's the kind of splits. Who do you think is going to end up as the last two on the ballot? Will it be a kind of one nation Tory? versus a more hard right Brexiteer. What, what is your view? Well, I don't know, and we don't have very long to find out, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to speculate. But I do think, I think the media um, tends to, and actually politicians themselves, tend to focus very heavily on the right of the Conservative Party. It's the bit of the party that makes the most noise. It's the bit of the party that has been most problematic in Parliament over the last few years, especially if you think through the kind of Brexit crusades. Um, but... In number, I've never been convinced whether or not that wing of the party actually has as much uh, weight as it as it kind of proposes in public, as it kind of presents uh, to the outside world. Um, And we may well see, I think, Mm -hmm. the moderate uh, ranks of the Conservative Party coalesce around a candidate and prevent the right from having a candidate in the final two. Now, my view is that this this contest has to be a proper battle of ideas and the Conservative Party can't end this contest without 
uh, having had a, a kind of serious debate about who it, who it is for, what it stands for, what the values of conservatism that they want to present today. Um, so in some ways, I think that, that might be a mistake and could be a shame. But um, uh, what's interesting is I think actually the number of candidates uh, or number of MPs supporting candidates from the moderate wing is, is substantial. I mean, 84 candidates supporting uh, Kami Badnock, Jeremy Hunt, Sajid Javid, uh, Penny Mordaunt, combined and that's quite a significant number of MPs and that could push someone through to the next round just in and of itself. Johnson won his majority almost entirely by winning traditional uh, Labour seats in the Midlands and, and the north of England. Have you heard anything from the candidates which which would appeal to them and, and uh, regardless of that is the winning candidate going to put forward are they going to appeal to those northern voters is, is what I really want to ask. So I think the key test for this leadership race is whether or not the winning candidate can uh, bring back together, can assemble that coalition that the Conservatives brought together in 2019. Um, there are lots of myths perpetuated about that um, uh, coalition. Uh, they are actually not uh, a kind of libertarian um, tax cutting uh, kind of Conservatives that, that some people would like them to be. They are uh, actually overwhelmingly in favour of uh, paying more taxes in order to fund public services like the NHS and, uh, and better schools. They're very pro-aspiration and um, and supporting uh, uh, kind of opportunity, and, and and that's why the levelling up agenda is so important. So I think there is um, there is an interesting policy case to be made for uh, for winning over that coalition that currently I don't think is being made by any of the candidates. And the kind of in- yes. initial focus on tax cuts has slightly prevented those voters from getting uh, their their kind of hearing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've heard nothing of levelling up, of spending on education catch up on the NHS or military spending, for example, all of which, you know, one can imagine would be uh, pretty important in the groaning entree of whoever becomes the next prime minister. Look, I I think mulling over Boris Johnson's tenure, though, um, in number 10, the fatal flaw also of Johnson's government to me appears to be that he prioritised loyalty over competence. Competence comes up again and again. Do you think that that feature is likely to remain with anyone who takes over at number 10? Or or are we going to get back to actually putting people in the job who are best suited to delivering? I think it depends on who the winning candidate is, to be perfectly honest. There are certainly some candidates in this race who place great store in competence uh, and would pride it over loyalty. And I would argue Rishi Sunak, Tom Tugendhat, Penny Morton to some of the candidates who would, I think, represent that view. Um, There are, I suspect, other candidates who, uh, either because they have been um, close to the kind of Boris project, which I think I agree, um, put loyalty above competence in many respects, or because they are um, simply kind of keen to shore up their ideological wing of the party. There are other candidates who, for whom that might not be the case. I think that would be a mistake. The last few years have done enormous damage to the Conservative brand for efficient and effective government, which I think the public generally do think of Conservatism in those terms. Uh, and I think one of the key kind of question marks for the new leader is how you can restore some of that reputation for competence after the last few months. So uh, I think that is an important part of this contest. At the moment, it hasn't been a big part of the debate, but I suspect it would do, especially in the final two. Well, what would a Rishi Sunak government 
look like in terms of uh, ideology? Clearly, it would attempt to, as you put it, restore the, that uh, reputation for competence. Uh, and Sunak is uh, clearly thought of as a better manager than than Boris Johnson. But in terms of uh, the, the the drift of, of ideology, where, where would that Sunak government be placed? Well, I think Rishi Sunak is an interesting politician because he he kind of grew up in politics as a as a small state Thatcherite, really, in many respects. Um, uh, he uh, has made lots of arguments for, for lowering taxes, and I think he does believe in, in reducing taxes, but not from a kind of dogmatic point of view, I think more in terms of giving people more of their own money and allowing people to make choices about their own money. So it's a kind of principled position. Um, but he is also the Chancellor who obviously introduced furlough and oversaw massive expansion of state spending during the furlough scheme. So he's clearly not someone who is... Uh, narrowed or hindered by ideology. He's willing to be pragmatic when it counts. And uh, I think that does actually herald a potentially quite different type of conservatism to the one that he prosecuted when he was a backbencher. I think it Mm. is uh, a type of conservatism that is willing to see the good that government can do uh, and the kind of backstop nature of the state uh, to provide people for security when it counts, but also not wedded to the state in the way that you might think of a, of a Labour government, for example, as the only mechanism of delivering opportunity. So I think there is something interesting there. It's not yet fully fleshed out and his leadership pitch today will, I think, set out that in greater detail. So, so potentially, economically, that's not that different to, to, to Boris Johnson's conservatism, is it? Um, I think the issue with Boris Johnson's conservatism, well, clearly the, the point of disagreement between them over recent months has been uh, uh, I think Rishi Sunak's steadfast determination not to increase borrowing in order to fund higher spending or tax cuts. Whereas uh, I think Boris Johnson, uh, to coin his own phrase, uh, wanted to have his cake, cake and eat it and, uh, and effectively rip up the, the fiscal rule book. And Rishi Sunak, I think at his heart, is a kind of Lawsonian or, 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 uh, or kind of Thatcherite um, politician in the sense that he believes fiscal discipline and not spending more than you can afford is the most fundamental rule of politics. Um, mm. And so I think that that's the key difference between them. But it's you're right that it does represent an evolution in conservative economics. And it, it actually, in some respects, takes us back to before Margaret Thatcher, where the Conservative Party was not as known for kind of small state ideology and was much more pragmatic in the way it, it both kind of uh, taxed it, taxed citizens and businesses and spent money. It was a kind of different type of politics. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.